Wagwan Daddy, baby, lover. Oh, y'all, y'all look good as hell. I swear, y'all got a mirror right there, and I see you. I see you. I'm holding up a mirror to your greatness. Duh, you look good. And uh, um, just one small thing before we start. <laughs> I look better. <laughs> Welcome back. Mind Believe Podcast, Norrin Zodiase. This is a podcast focused on beating the hell out of your negative voice. Hi. I hope you're doing well, swell, and great today, and have a happy holiday. That was before. But thank you so much. If this is your first time listening to the Mind Bully Podcast, I usually say bear with me. This is how I am, but I'm tired of saying that. This is just how I am, and this is the last time I'm going to say it right now. Hey, take me as I am. Come as you are. What what my pop say? God, God say come as you are. I got to be me. Here you talking about? Show them the good. Show them the bad. Show them the ugly. And yeah. So I hope you stick around. If you don't, who gives it? No, I'm kidding. Thank you so much. Honestly, if you've ever tuned in, shared this podcast, rated, reviewed, it means the world to me. Seriously, like it does so much when I get feedback on what I'm building with everyone listening. It It's everything. Like literally when you share this podcast, when you rate it, it does so much for the algorithm. You know, I ain't no math major, but it does so much to put this message out. I have guests on this podcast that really have stories of how they're overcoming that mind belief, that negative voice in their climb, in their journey with whatever they're trying to do. And just to hear other people doing the same things and the same mindsets, knowing that you're not alone in your journey and you're not alone in your story. Whenever you listen to this podcast or listen to my crazy tale saying something, I hope it really gives you joy and perspective and love. And just to know that you're not the only one going along in this journey. So thank you so much for reviewing and rating this podcast. I usually am a jovial mood, but I <laughs> sometimes you got to go back to the foundation and be like, hey, hey, man, this is what it is. This is what we're doing and building here together. We beating the hell out of it with uh, truth. And I'm glad you're tuned in for this truth. Let's get in to this week's episode. This week's guest. I had the pleasure. I feel like I always say that sidebar, the pleasure, the honor. I literally do. I'm honestly happy. I'm super stoked to have Miss Colby Thompson on the podcast. She's director of marketing for the Greensboro Swarm. A little girl from a little town in East Texas. Colby always wanted more for herself. But what was more? And what exactly did she want? She wasn't sure either. But she did not stop climbing. From pursuing a career in healthcare, then in business, now in sports. Colby continues to carve out a lane for herself without any real evidence to support those claims. <laughs> it's called a leap of faith, paired with the confidence in her capacity. Traits in which she credits to her late grandparents, whom she lost while pursuing those dreams. In this episode, you'll hear that story, along with the example of what happens when you leave your comfort zone and pursue your heart's desires with courage consistency, and constant curiosity, knowing that it builds the character needed to keep you climbing. And whenever Colby falls, her grandparents motivate her to climb that next step. We're starting. We're actually starting, so. We're on? Yeah, we're on. We're live. Okay. So, uh, hi. <laughs> Hello. This is funny because you guys listening, obviously this is about Miss Colby Thompson, my guest here. But this has been a crazy setup. Like we've taken so long because of me. I just got off a plane. 
And she's worked so nice and worked with my time. So thank you for that. And just to start quick, I didn't even say hi, but hi, Miss Colby Thompson. Welcome to the Mind Believe Podcast. Hello. One, I think you're you're somebody I wanted on this podcast because of, you know, who you are. You're a light, you're a leader. And I think you're somebody that's in extremely like, detailed in everything that you do. And it's funny, just you work with the Greensboro Swarm. I play for the Greensboro Swarm. So kind of seeing you in your field is almost me watching film on like a me of how detailed you are and the things that you do. So again, I'm extremely fortunate for one that you taking this long of time for me to, to sit here and watch me jump over cords and get a mic and all your time. I'm extremely happy to have you on this podcast. So thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. The one thing I usually do is I start with childhood, but maybe I'm overanalyzing this. There's something that you did say in the form that I sent over that kind of, I was just like, huh? You literally said you made me feel like I had a worthwhile story to share. Mm. And that, suggest that you thought that you didn't have one um maybe not that but i feel like there's like a new stigma when it comes to podcasts about like you have to come with some like golden nugget and like okay well this is gonna be my truth that i'm gonna share this just gonna like hit everybody and resonate with everybody and sometimes i guess like if you don't have for me i feel like it's been kind of an ordinary life somewhat yeah. So do I have like this, you know, prophecy that I can share that everybody is just going to be like, oh my gosh, that resonates with me so much and it's going to be super meaningful? Probably not, but I feel like you're good at pulling that out of people. So it's maybe so that's funny. more about what I was trying to say. Like not to cut you off, but actually to cut you off because at, literally I have so much respect for you and not only what you do. I know that's false because this podcast, literally this platform is for people on the climb, where they want to go, all the things that you've been able to do in your life, you had steps. Your mindset was, okay, I want to be here, but I'm not there yet. How did you get there? To highlight that story mm -hmm. is why this podcast is here. There's so many other podcasts and places you can go to to get the stars or the people that's, okay, the director of marketing that has the director of marketing dollars behind them mm -hmm. for you to get to the place you're at and the creativity to kind of build things without the backing I think that's dope. And that's why I really wanted to highlight that. But again, jumping in, I think I always start with childhood because I think mm -hmm. those are the real formative years on, you know, who Colby is, who she becomes. Yeah. So if you were to take me back to young Colby, mm -hmm. to understand you, to understand the trajectory of your life, you know, the passions you pursued, the person you became, what do I need to know about your earliest years? Yeah, well, I'm the youngest of four. Um, I think I had a somewhat normal upbringing from East Texas, a small town in East Texas. And, you know, my parents divorced at a young age, so I kind of went back and forth. But some of the same things that I think probably a lot of kids my age were going through. But I think I learned a lot from being the youngest sibling. And that probably played a lot into kind of the path that I took my older siblings, which my dad doesn't have a college education. My mom did go to college, but I was the only one of my siblings to go to college. But it's weird because like I look at how we were all raised like similar. You know, we were all different ages at different phases of our childhood. Like when our parents divorced, I was young. I don't remember it. Like my brother has other memories of that. 
So I know we were all affected in different ways by things we went through. But for me, like, I don't know. I feel like it wasn't ever really a question for me to like yeah. do big things, like to go to college, to, you Why? know. Because just listening to you, you know, articulate everything that you went through kind of in, okay, this is what I am. This is what I did. But I think that's cool. If I'm listening to your story, I'm just like, man, she, she that was quick. She literally gave us, okay, my parents are split one of four. I learned from my siblings, but it was never a question for me to do great things, to be the first to do things and travel. Yeah. So why do you think you, what was it about Colby that made her see herself as more than where she was? I don't know. I think that is like a question that I don't really know the answer to because I feel like me and my siblings, like I said, all from the same family, we have the same parents, have bounced between the two, you know, hometowns, same hometowns, but we all just took very different paths, but we were all raised the same way. I mean, I know things are different, like I said, at different stages of life, but I feel like that's a question that I really, I've talked to my parents about that too. Like, what is it that makes me, you know, dead set on taking this path where I'm like, so into career and, you know, want to go to college where my siblings didn't necessarily choose that. And one is not right. And one is not wrong. Right. But like, for me, I just felt like that was sort of my destiny. Like it was never an option. I never considered not, you know, trying really hard in school and not going to college and not like being really career driven. Like it was always just like a higher standard and like a goal that I had for myself without even really thinking about setting it. I think I just felt like that was my way of making myself proud and making my parents proud and yeah. making my grandparents proud was just by like going after that. And I never considered another path. But like for my siblings, like my brother, he he did some college, but it wasn't for him. And then like my other two sisters, they never considered that same path. But we were all raised the same way. Yeah. I do think that my grandparents and my parents maybe saw it in me at a younger age and said like, okay, we know she wants this and it's capable of this. So maybe they pushed me a little bit more and they didn't push my siblings as much, but I almost just feel like I was kind of born different from them. If that's possible. I don't know. I don't know if you can really, you know, interesting. I, I do. I think that's so cool that, you know, people in your life can kind of pinpoint the talents and, you know, the, that one's, special you know that one's one of the ones not saying that your other siblings weren't uh, on that kind of focus but i do think that it's it really does something for the kid it, it instills confidence and you're able to do the things which we will talk about but just hearing you speak about your siblings it's funny i, I have a twin and i have two older sisters that are twins and i think about my role in our household like <laughs> i was a rebel. Like my brother was the smart one. My sister, my oldest sister, she was like the vision. My, my other sister, she's kind of like the connector. If you were to think about your role in your relationships with your family members, with your siblings, what do you think Colby's role was? Mm, good question. I feel like, um, I don't know. I feel like I was, I say the loner cause I feel like I can't think of a better word right now, but kind of just the one that always like did my own thing. I'd probably use selfish as another word, which has a bad connotation. But like you talk about your sister being the connector, like I have a sister that, you know, and it helps that now she's had a bunch of kids. So that really has helped bring the family together. But like 
she's that person that is like by my mom's side, like every single day, going to help you with everything. You know, my brother is like the only son. So that comes with its own sort of like protective role. And then for me, not that I'm not like ready to help my mom at any moment, but I feel like they've just always been so much more like open to letting me be the independent one. Like I don't have to be home. I don't, you know, if, if somebody needs something like this is going to this sounds bad when I'm describing it, but like if we need to call somebody, you know, to do something for the family, like let's ask Kendall cause she's around. But for me, it's like, she's out there and doing her thing. And like, we want to let her like, do you ever feel guilty for that? Because yes. I swear. Yes. My sister Edson is the same way. Like they're not going to call me. They, yeah. They, they want to call me if they need like mentally something, but they're calling her if they need, like right. you said you feel guilty. Why though? If you know, that's how you are and you're able to do all these things, like move to a different state, you know, excel. Yeah. Why are you guilty then? I don't feel guilty about it all the time. I would say sometimes, you know, like if your family's really going through something that is like really tough on everybody and it's brought everybody together, like, you know, a death in the family, like my grandpa, who I was very close with, um, super close to those grandparents is my mom's parents. Like he had Alzheimer's. So after my grandma passed away and she had Alzheimer's, my sister was the one who was there taking care of him every day. And it was like really, really hard on her. And I was in college at the time. So when I would go home, I would see that. But that disease is like terrible and it gets worse every single day. So it's in times like that when I'm like, wow, like she was the one that was there every day. Like she devoted her whole entire life to that. But I know that like, even when my sister is frustrated, she might throw it in my face. But I know that my sister or my mom or my dad or whoever the case is, like, they're not ever going to say like, wow, you should have come home from college so that you could have been the one taking care of like, they just knew that like I belonged where I was like yeah. in college, like pursuing an education. I can sometimes make my fa- myself feel guilty about it. If I think back about like, well, did I spend enough time with him? Like, you know, was I home enough? Was I, you know, that person that they needed or my family needed or he needed, but I don't think anybody makes me feel guilty about it. I just think it's like, you know, every once in a while you start thinking about like, how can I be better? What could I do differently? And you think about like, okay, well, what do I mean to my family? And like, have I done enough for them? But on the day to day, I don't necessarily feel guilty about it. It's only in some moments. And then I say like, my family doesn't make me feel guilty about that, which is good. Yeah. You, you spoke on your grandparents there a couple of times, um, your family dynamics in the home. Um, you spoke on your parents being divorced and kind of being raised and brought up by your grandparents. When you think about that time, you know, you kind of alluded to being in college when you got the news. If you were to take me back and walk me through that week, you know, what was going on, not only emotionally, but, you know, you had a life in school and all that culminating in one point, one moment. How did that feel? Yeah, it was really hard. Um, the stuff with my grandparents started like, when my grandmother passed away um, first. So I was, that was freshman year of college. And I was actually my first year I went to college closer to home. So, but she was in another town five hours away. We didn't really know how sick she was. Like she didn't tell anybody. She was a really strong lady. She wasn't going to come out to us and say, Hey, I'm really sick. We didn't know until she was like right there at the end. So 
that was more like sudden. And that was really tough because I felt like I didn't have enough time to like wrap my head around it, you know, which losing anybody is hard. But like when it's so sudden, like, I mean, she was old, so I I couldn't be that surprised, but we didn't know she was sick. And then with my grandpa, I think it was, if you know anybody who has had Alzheimer's or dementia, you know, you would be able to understand, but it was almost more, of a relief when he passed just because it got so bad with him. Like we didn't recognize him. He wasn't acting like himself. Like that disease just takes like every bit of humanity away from somebody. Like everything that we knew him to be like strong, independent man's man, like none of that was him anymore because of the disease. So as far as them passing, like it was really hard to go through that with my grandmother in college while I was away. Like you said, with him, um, it was hard because I didn't get to be there like right when he passed away. But it was good for our family to be able to know like he wasn't having to go through that anymore. And we just all felt like he would be so embarrassed if he had the mind to know like we were having to do this kind of stuff for him, take yeah. care of him. He couldn't do anything by himself. So there were different situations, but obviously hard to lose both of them. Yeah. And then like when people around you your same age still have their grandparents, like you want to be happy for them. But I found myself being like really jealous of people who had grandparents. I'm like, I don't have any of my grandparents left. So one Kobe, thank you for sharing that. I think, you know, that's, that's tough to hear. Even now I couldn't imagine what you were going through at that time, especially being raised by them and, you know, having that unique relationship with them and seeing them, you know, in a different kind of light. Um, how do you think that you've that situation has changed? Because, you know, you've you've kind of spoken on them more so than your actual parents, mm-hmm. which is beautiful in itself that you have like these grandparents that, you know, took you in like you're like, that's my people. But without them in your life, how has Kobe changed? Yeah. Um. I don't know if I would say like change necessarily without them there i would say they i feel like they motivate me yeah just because so they are i think responsible for a lot of the values that i still have today like they're the ones who put me in church like my mom obviously goes to church but like they were like devout devout christians and like we went three times a week and like you didn't have any option and you know it was like church 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 So without that foundation, I think obviously things would be a lot different. So I think that's definitely something that I'm not always the best at, you know, like faith has been kind of like great at times for me personally, in terms of like how I feel like I'm doing and how I feel like I'm demonstrating faith. Like obviously when I was young and in church all the time, like, great, I felt really great about it. There was a time in college when I actually like, was back to that like three times a week did I found myself like not even socializing because I felt like I had to just like always be in church church was the only way so they are the ones that kind of keep me on track as far as that's concerned like always feeling like I have that safe space to go back to because they gave me those values and also just like wanting to make them proud and everything like they were really hard workers you know old school like I know a lot of people their age probably just like lived and breathed work um but just knowing that like they're the reason that education is so valuable to me and like having a career and 
faith and all the good things, honestly, I feel like I kind of owe to them. So that's beautiful. Yeah. What does correct me if I'm wrong? You know, you're, you did your, your later years of kind of your childhood plus adolescence in Huntington, Texas, but mm-hmm. you're going back and forth from kind of the, the Metroplex to um, that area. What do you think in hindsight that does to a child, you know, kind of bouncing from this home to this home and with my grandparents, but going to see my parents? What do you think, like, if you were to even revert back, you know, you kind of don't realize it when you're going through it. But if you're looking at the young kid, what do you think that does? I would say, like, as a child and as like as I am now, I feel like I've realized, like, the older I've gotten, I'm a very adaptable person. I think I, one of my strengths, I think if I could give that to myself would be that like, I try to make the most of situations. I don't remember being like disappointed or affected by that as a kid. Like I can't pull from that and be like, oh, it was just so hard on me bouncing around. I know that is hard on some kids and I know some kids go through that. And that's like one of their like, you know, most hated parts of their childhood. Like I don't remember seeing that way. Like. I'm sure back in the moment, like I missed my friends and I was bummed about leaving my grandparents and there were elements of it. Sure. But I don't remember being like upset about it. Um, Only moved once and I spent like half the time in one place and then half the time in the other. So I wasn't like back and forth, back and forth. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was exciting for me. Like I was born where we ended up moving and where I graduated from. So like my dad had all his friends there. And so a lot of his friends had kids that already knew and like, I had been raised with, we just didn't go to school together. So I'm like, oh, I get to be with those friends now. So now I have this whole new book of friends that I get to make. And like, so I don't know. I don't really like look back at anything necessarily like super traumatizing as a child. Exactly. Like it's not even that I was trying to allude to that, but it's thinking about it. And in the form, you literally describe your childhood as happy. Yeah. And happiness is subjective. And I think it's beautiful that, you know, your background, the values they've instilled, your grandparents kind of, okay, like this is a great life. You're in a great opportunity. Like your, your loved ones push that kind of mindset that values towards you. You start, okay, I am, you know, I, I work hard for these things. I am privileged to have, you know, family, community around me. So those are kind of the core things that you stuck to. I do think it's, it's funny. And I always say this, I think as that time you're going to Huntington, you know, kind of in your later years, I think adolescence is when you're really impressionable. You're eight to 18 is kind of the, the time that you're crafting your belief system. And whenever you craft that belief system, whatever you find, I think sets the foundation for your life. So coming from that kind of culture of in the Huntington, like the culture of agriculture Mm -hmm. and you being from two different places, you've seen different things. Your values are one way from your family and the environment, but now your beliefs, I, in my opinion, I don't think that breeds a lot of room for curiosity. And if it does breed room for curiosity, it's like different than how we believe. Okay. Curiosity in that town might be, okay, try this sport or try this sport. Right. Curiosity to a different person might be, okay, I can date this person and date that person. Different kind of view on life. In that time, kind of jumping all over the place because I think with you, I could do this. What did Colby believe about who she was and what she was able to do? Like you're, I am this right now and I can do this later in my life. 
because you've done things again in your environment. People are like, wait, she's on to do that, on to do that. If you look back on your life, you're like, wait, it doesn't make sense for me to be in Greensboro, North Carolina right now. What did that Colby believe in seeing herself about who she was and then what she was able to become? I probably use my mom as an example of that. So I was like, okay, I'm driven and I've always had these big goals. That's true. But also I feel like I didn't make like a big, you know, future plan. Like, oh, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And here's how I'm going to get to this and that. I think that just comes with like the confidence knowing that like, okay, whatever I decide to do, I know I can do it. And I think that comes from like seeing my mom. So my mom has been literally everything under the sun. She started out as a journalist. She worked for a newspaper. That's how she met my dad in that town. She um, has been a teacher. She's been a pharmaceutical sales representative. She's a nurse now. She went to nursing school when I was in high school. And she was a private flight attendant. Like the stories she could tell about all the places that she went and all the people that she flew. Like she flew a bunch of like high profile celebrities and this and that. So I think just knowing like myself and knowing that then that I basically was just like, capable of doing whatever I wanted. I didn't really put any pressure on myself to be like, okay, this is what I want to do and when. It's just like when I decided to do it, like I know that I can. And I thought I wanted to be a nurse at first because I saw her in nursing school. And then later on, I'm like, I don't want to do that at all. Like, I think I want to work in sports. And she's like, okay, cool. And I'm like, okay, cool. It was never, nobody's ever talked to me in a way of like, oh, well, are you sure? And do you think you can? Like my parents have been very supportive in that way. So but was your environment like that, though? Because I don't know. It's just like people think you're crazy if you do certain things that you don't have proof of. Like yeah. Your, I believe, beliefs are like almost like these cognitive contact lenses, the way we see our life. And it's like a selective filter on, you know, what we see, what we can do. And you basically, like you're saying, you saw the evidence of, wait, my mom does this and this and this. I can do this and this and this. Yeah. But I think your environment does like kind of prick at that and pry at that. Did you experience any of that during that time where you were in high school kind of figuring it out? No, I don't think I ever like. I wasn't, you know, dreaming about Greensboro in high school necessarily. <laughs> like I didn't think that my path would take me here, but I was just open to anything. And like in high school, I feel like I was kind of obnoxious in high school, honestly. Um, It was like a really small school and like me and my best friend were like vice president and president of student council and we did the announcements. And so I look back at like who I was at that age and a lot of it was just like immaturity, but I'm like, oh my gosh, people probably thought I was so annoying. I don't think anybody was like going to tell me that, you know, they, I don't even think that's what you're asking, (laughs) but I don't think... Anybody was ever going to tell any of us like, oh, your dreams aren't big enough um, but or that your dreams are too big. Sorry. I think people just had yeah different goals. Like you said, a lot of people around me were just doing the agriculture thing and like, oh, yeah, my dad, you know, he works on an oil rig. Like, I'm going to do that, too. And like, I'm going to run cows, you know, but I just never thought that way. And it's surprising, too, thinking about it, like. I thought that my dad would be that person. I thought my dad would be that person like, well, are you sure you want to leave? Like, you don't want to stay here. It's been really surprising in adulthood, like seeing all the things that I've done and how supportive he has been because he's never left Lufkin. Like he's never left. 
He's lived there his whole entire life. My dad didn't even graduate high school. Like he is like hometown man. And when I'm telling him like, oh, I think I'm going to leave SFA and go to A&M, I'm scared he's going to be like, no, you don't need to go far, you know. And he wasn't. And then when I'm like, I'm going to move to Dallas, he's like, that's awesome. And then telling him I'm going to travel and telling him like, I think I'm going to move to North Carolina. He's like, I want to take you. I want to like, that was really special to me because I wouldn't have thought that I think where you're going and where I'm trying to go with it is like, you don't think that people around you at that stage of life are going to understand when you want to do more than they are. And I'm sure a lot of them didn't, but nobody ever told me like, oh, I think you're, you know, doing too much by trying to get out and go those places, you know? Thinking about it, do you think they would have did that for somebody else? Like, they would have been like, okay, you can do that. Uh, Like, I'm with you. Like, I'm thinking about it. They obviously saw something in you like, nah, she, go ahead. Sure. Do it. I'm just. I hope so. I hope that, like I said, I hope I wasn't obnoxious and annoying to my classmates, which I feel like I kind of was. But I think like, you know, especially the adults and stuff. Like, I think my teachers saw something in me that like, okay, yeah, like she's going to do something, you, you know. You about yourself obnoxious at that age. What are kind of the the symptoms of being obnoxious like what were you actually doing physically that you were like oh hell no i shouldn't have been doing that at that age i mean nothing bad but just being like loud and annoying and like i said we would get on the announcements and just like try to make all these jokes we thought we were so funny and looking back i'm probably like thinking people were like just shut up already (laughs) um but yeah, just goofy and really loud and noxious. I remember I got most dramatic in high school and class clown. <laughs> I got class clown in high school actually too, which I feel like is kind of different from my personality these yeah. days. When I tell people that they're like, what? But I'm funny still, <laughs> definitely. But I think then, you know, you're just young. And I guess a little bit of us too is like, you're young and you don't care what people think at that age. And so I was just doing what was on my brain, I guess. Like I didn't have the filter of thinking like, Oh, you know, that's not funny enough to say, don't say that, that nobody's going to laugh. I just said it, you know? And so now I look back, I'm like, I'm probably thinking from my age now that I was obnoxious, but I was just being a kid, you know, being a kid, that kid went on to move what 30 minutes North to Nacogdoches to SFA. And then later transfer into a Texas A&M, I think. You just said something there that at that age, you didn't really care about what people thought about you. So when did you start caring? I think college. Yeah, I think college was probably the age where I started like just being more mindful of like, and maybe that was just like, you know, because moving out of a small town and it's just you're, you know, in a bigger pond. And so that was like my first taste of like, you know, just more people. And so I think that's just when I was more aware of i guess how i was coming off and what people thought so but why transfer to a college station which is probably the biggest in terms of enrollment in texas so you go from your city then you're leveling up to a knack college people and you're like dang i actually I might care what people think, but I don't care. I'll go to an even bigger school. Yeah. Well, well I, I didn't I have that thought. I wasn't like, oh, I think I'm realizing right now I care about what people think. Right. I think I'm looking back now at it and thinking like, okay, maybe that's when I settled down. And maybe that was just growing up and maturing, you know. More so I'm speaking to like the, you know, you're not comfortable. But yeah. You're still pushing yourself to become even more uncomfortable in a bigger school. Why transfer? Well, so at SFA, I thought I wanted to be a nurse. So I didn't apply to any other colleges. Um, I think I 
that would be like my one, I say regret, but no regrets, whatever. Everything happens for a reason. But I do wish I would have gone to A&M from the beginning because I will say like transferring to A&M, I did that because I didn't want to be a nurse anymore. And I just didn't really necessarily feel fulfilled at SFA. It was just too close to home. And then I had some friends that had gone to A&M after we graduated right after high school. And my very best friend, she's still my best friend to this day, was like, I love it in College Station. Like, you should move here. I think you would really like it. And so I told my mom that. I'm like, I think I want to move to College Station and try to get into A&M. And she's like, okay. If I had applied like right out of high school, I could have just gone straight there. Like, I missed a lot of the experiences that you get at A&M through your freshman year, like fish camp. And like, that's when you learn all the traditions and like living in a dorm and meeting people. And so I do think I should. When I got to AM, I really liked it. No regrets. Love it. Glad I went. Like first generation Aggie. I'm hopeful that, you know, that inspires my nieces and nephews to go. Like if I had kids one day, I think that would be really cool if they went because AM's all about tradition. But I think in missing that first year, like you said, moving to a bigger place, um, I think it did maybe make it a little worse with the like, being mindful about what other people are doing and caring and thinking about because there were times I feel like maybe, and I don't know if I've ever even really said this, but I feel like maybe I feel like I didn't have the same sort of identity as other people at A&M because they had either family that went to A&M or most certainly they went there like from the jump. So me coming in, I'm like, y'all are going to have to teach me all the traditions. I don't know the yells. I don't know, you know, why we dunked the Aggie ring. Like, tell me what it means. And everybody else is just like living, breathing it. So if they're, you know, if I could do it over, I think I probably would just go there from the beginning just so that I could feel a little bit more like, you know. Included. Included. Yeah. yeah. Just like feel the identity more than I actually did. It's like you're playing catch up. As you right. Right there. Um, what's the cost of that though? Like you're playing catch up. You're. You don't really have the strong base or the knowledge base of the traditions, you know, the community. It's it's different. Like you're trying to find yourself. You just left home like this is actually your time to become a woman and learn about not only yourself, but learn about the passions that you'll later on pursue, like as a career. What do you think? That you lost during that time, like what was the cost of straining yourself, for lack of better words, to try to, you know, Oh, I got to do this. What was the cost in that? I think it probably did cost me a little bit of just like. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. Like, I guess it did cost me some happiness. I felt like I kind of just like followed my friends around. Like I had friends that were in sororities. My best friend that brought me down there her and my other best friend that I went to college with, they were both in the same sorority. So a lot of times I'm just like kind of tagging along to stuff that they're doing. So I don't feel like I ever really got the chance or I guess made the effort, honestly, to like make my own identity there. And if I had, I think it would have just opened me up to more experiences and I would have met more people. But I did, even though it was a big school and there were so much more people around, I kind of did kind of cling to the same people that I knew and that brought me there. So trying to just catch up with them is probably what cost me from like making other friendships and finding my own way at A&M and my own identity that was separate from theirs. But I don't feel like I ever really got there necessarily. So, 
it's funny socially kind of and probably emotionally you kind of spoke to you know working through your identity but the passions that you pursued in sports and now you're a director of marketing if we fast forward walk me through that journey in college like how did you figure that out you know you saw your mom do all these different positions and you're like okay I could be something just I don't know what yeah how did you plant your feet in sports and then work through the different things that you wanted to do in that field probably if I would have stopped worrying about chasing my identity and my friends and learning Aggie traditions, I would have focused on sports earlier because I've always kind of had that passion, but I really didn't get in. Like I would have worked with the athletic department. Like I would have, you know, tried to get on with the football team or, you know, football is big at A&M. That probably would have been the way or like basketball was, they had a good team while I was there. So there were routes to take, but I never pursued it in college, um, which I wish I would have, but I made it one way or the other. I really didn't get into sports though until when I graduated college. I also feel like I just kind of was not scrambling, but since I transferred, everything seemed to happen a little bit later. So when I graduated, I worked for JCPenney because I had an internship with them. So I worked in Plano at their home office for like a year. And it wasn't until I was about a year in, like I was happy there. I was learning a lot. I worked with a lot of good people there, but I was just like, okay. It's time to pursue this thing that I know I truly like want to do, but I um, don't know anybody and I don't necessarily know how to get there. I just know that I want to. So I had a boss there who actually introduced me to her neighbor and I started babysitting her kids. And she knew the team president of the Texas Legends, which is the Dallas Mavericks G League team. And she was like, I know you want to work in sports. Like, do you want me to just make this intro? I'd already applied to like a Dallas Cowboys position just like online and never heard anything, um, which is not surprising because I had no experience and I don't even know. I wouldn't even want to think about how many people are applying to those jobs. But I met with him and it was just like a crazy, lucky, I guess, like God thing. They were looking for a marketing person. It was like a brand new position that they had never had, but they just wanted some help in their marketing department. And I met him. He knew, you know, I had no experience, but I feel like he could just tell, like, I had a passion for it. And he's like, I want to take a chance on you, like, join our team. So I had to sacrifice a lot of money. I was making way more money at JCPenney and just, like, kind of take the jump. But that is when I first got into it was honestly after college. I didn't study sports in college, but I kind of always wanted to. But that's how I ultimately ended up pursuing it. It's so funny. It's like... You spoke on college, you're kind of your identity, the identity piece was, you know, you're figuring it out and it invariably kind of cost you that pursuit of sports and that kind of realm early on. But it's funny how, you know, the things that you instinctively, you know, see and the things that you love, you'll always run back to. Yeah. That's why you sacrifice taking the less money for this position and kind of grinding it out with the Texas legends. You go from a business analyst at JCPenney to a Texas Legends to then switching not only jobs, but states almost across the country to a Greensboro Swarm um, and at a managing marketing and then going to director the next year. What is it about Miss Colby that she just keeps climbing the ladder and <laughs> she's like, all right, uh, I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this. Like, you've talked to about the traits of, I don't know, it's just that confidence, but I think. There's something in you. I, I'm just trying to think and 
it is God, but there's also a trait that people see like, okay, oh, this one. Okay, this one in Greensboro. Okay, this one again to be director, be leader. What is it about Kobe that just you just keep climbing that ladder despite not having kind of that exact like, oh, I don't have representation of, you know, this is how you get to this, this, this. You meet this person. What is it about you? I don't know. I think for me, I feel like I, as I've gotten, you know, a little bit older, I've worked in sports now. Like I took on a direct report recently. I had to go through a whole hiring process. Like, so I've sat in on interviews and I feel like people who are in positions to make those types of decisions or honestly, just a lot more people, hopefully than you think just can like sense if a person is genuine or not. So I feel like hopefully that's what it is. Like when I say I'm passionate about something, when I say, Hey, I don't have experience, but like, I can promise you that I'm going to work hard. I think people can see that that's like genuine coming from me. And that's what shines through in an interview situation. Like take a chance on me. I promise that like, I'm going to show you that I work hard and It's not only that, though, Kobe, I get it. Good people win. But sometimes good people aren't good at their job. Like you insist on higher standards. You're big on no, like this has to be done right. Like the community building, everything is the experience. There's so many people at this level, like doing that. What you do is like, "Um, I'm trying to get to the NBA. Uh, I'm trying to get to, you know, the top of the top. You're like, I don't give a damn if I'm not there yet. This is going to be done right. Like, what is it about you that's so like detailed and like wanting everything to be kind of the way you envision it in your head. I guess, I don't know. I just have like a high personal standard and pride. And like you said, like I take a lot of pride in what I do and I want to do it right. And so I'm always going to put forth my best effort in making sure that like it's done right. Whatever, wherever I am, like if I commit to it, however much money I'm making, whatever city I'm in, whatever the circumstances, like that's what you're going to get out of me. And so I think people have just seen that, especially if I'm hired on and I'm working, like if you're working with me, if whether you're working beside me or you're working over me and I'm reporting to you, like you're going to see, I'm going to be the person that's going to stay late. Like I'm going to sacrifice the time and the hours to make sure that something is done right. Um, sometimes like to a fault where it's like, okay, you don't have to spend that many hours like making this perfect or whatever the case is. So I don't know. It's just like hard work and having a really high standard for myself that I think People can see that like people who truly care and want to do good work and people who just say that they want to do good work, if that makes sense. How does it feel, though, you know, being if somebody looks at your story with a eh, like a shady lens, they think, how did this girl go from this mm-hmm. to this to this? You know, being a woman in leadership and kind of, a you know, covering males, being around males all the time. Walk me through that journey, like behind the eyes of a Colby, mm-hmm. you know, every single day, like whether it's consciously, subconsciously, do you ever experience the feeling of having to prove, 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 prove that you're worthy of the position that you hold? I mean, yes and no. I feel like I don't, 
I feel like I'm in a good spot here. Like I work with people who I don't feel like I'm having to constantly prove myself. Like they see that I deserve it and I'm rewarded for that. It's more so, I guess, as a woman, like you said, going back to that woman in sports, like women really in any industry, but also in sports, just like you said, it's like male dominant. We're covering you guys. Like y'all are all males. Like, oh, she, what does she know about basketball? That sort of thing. Like I see it in small ways. Um, uh, what, what ways? Yeah, just like maybe, you know, somebody else in your industry, like we have like league meetings, right? And it seems like sometimes like those people who are maybe highlighted or, hey, speak up on this or whatever, like sometimes it's like, oh, let's let's call on the man to speak up about this, this or that, that right? Like knowing that you are behind the scene, you busting your ass, you know everything. How does that feel? I mean, yeah, that's annoying. It's really annoying, but I don't really let it get to me necessarily. Like I, I see that and I don't know if everybody notices even that they're doing it. Like I don't even know if people notice like like there's been people who've like responded to our social media stuff. Like it's me running the account and people are automatically if they like respond to a post or if they comment like, oh, you know, this social media manager, he, this or that, or hey, do you like they refer to whoever is running the account as a as a man. And I'm like, it's just automatic. Like, I don't think that people even realize that it's a girl that's like behind, like sometimes I'll really use like the little girl emojis. (laughs) Like it's not a man that's running the account. Like I know that's everybody's like first instinct. Um, So I think a lot of people don't realize that they're kind of, you know, sliding women in sports. It's more just like the kind of everyday, like men are the first option that everybody experiences in any industry but it's not great but i do think that like you know people are making more strides in our industry like there are a lot more women in sports obviously here in this day and time than back in the 80s or 90s when women first started stepping on the scene so that doesn't necessarily mean that it's right yeah we're progressing but yeah i'm glad that you said that you're able to, you don't feel like you have to impress and work, work, work. But you just said something there that it's funny. You know, sometimes you put the little emoji to say, it's a girl. I'm dropping mm-hmm. little hints. Like mm-hmm. being able to express yourself. Do you feel, feel in your position that you can fully express yourself and still have that, you know, respect of she's the boss? Oh, that's a good question. Yes. I would say. And I think it comes with like being at a G League team, like it's a small team. So everybody's really close and everybody knows each other. So like I'm myself at work, like I'm that person that, you know, I show my personality. I can be goofy when I want to be like, and I'm serious when I need to be right. But I do sometimes think about it. Like I do kind of overthink that sometimes like, okay, I can't let too loose, especially I think it's been on my mind a lot lately, having taken on like the director position. It's like, oh crap. now. I have more people reporting to me like I'm going to have to carry myself in a different way. Maybe I can't be silly and goofy and, you know, do this or that because then people are going to think that I'm not serious enough or not deserving enough. So it really honestly hasn't played in my mind as much from like a female perspective, but more so like taking on more authority. That's when I start to overthink a little bit. do that though? Because that is... It is something, though, like once you're especially when you're in the same kind of field, the same position, similar people, you you guys have a different staff. But like, wait, 
she was just a part of the team last year. Now she, my boss, like, right. how does that feel kind of every day? Like, what are you practically doing to kind of change your mindset and, and work with different people and have patience and kind of, what is your process like in that? Yeah. Well, I would say like, I'm really still learning, honestly, like that's sort of new territory for me. Um, I had a lot of like part-time reports last year, which is different than having somebody report to you every single day. And like you said, there was somebody that I was working with on the daily, even for just a couple months, but then she ended up now becoming my report. So like now we're having to work through a different type of relationship. And I feel like I'm still figuring that out. Like I've gone to my boss. It's really opened my eyes a lot. Like before you are in a position, you can see everything. Like you think that you just know everything. Like I'm like, oh my gosh, he doesn't. Why did he do this? Or why did he do that? And it's like now that I'm having to make some of those same decisions that he is in regard to like managing people and doing this and doing that. I'm like, there is a reason why he made this decision or, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that this was playing a factor in the decision that he made. So I'm a person that really like, I don't pretend to have all the answers. I love to listen and learn. I've gone to him and just been like, listen, I'm confident in all the knowledge that I have. I've been here the longest. I'm confident in my skills. Like if they come to me, I'm certain that I have the answer or I can find it quickly. But I know that I want your guidance. If in any area, I want that, like in the leadership aspect, like I want to make sure I'm doing right by these people because I really care. I don't think a lot of people take leadership seriously, but I really do. I take it very seriously and I want to do right by these people who ultimately, like, I'm impacting their lives now. Like, I am impacting your career, which for a lot of people, if you're like me, that's pretty much your whole life because that's pretty much all I have here in Greensboro. So, I'm still figuring it out and I want to just like lean on people who have more advice in that, in that world and like have more time there and have more wisdom to share with me because that's been one of the more, I guess, stressful parts of taking on this role and the, and the more stressful parts of this season is figuring out, okay, how do I do everything that I know how to do, but also now manage these people and have them help them do everything that they have to do as well. well. That can feel lonely though, especially when you're in a different state. I know you spoke to outgrowing people, even when you're running in a different lane, you're not only doing the job and the thing that you love, but you're having to be accountable for people and, you know, fend and pour into them as well. That loneliness can actually be a thing there. If I'm saying that and I'm speaking and if I'm behind the eyes of a Colby in this situation, I don't know how I would actually recharge and every single day come in with life and care about the players. And, you know, how do you do that? How do you recharge? Because, again, it's tough, especially being you spoke to all your friends getting married and those type of things in in, um, our excerpt here. But seeing all that like life, everybody's kind of getting settled. I'm just getting started. I'm a new new city, new job, new position. How do you recharge and come in with the life of, okay, I care about this. I care about this. We get why you care. I kind of get why you care, but like, how do you care and care and care when this person messes up and this person, messes, ah, why don't you just dip? Like what kind of keeps you going? I think just, it goes back to that, just like personal standard, just like feeling like, okay, yeah, there are a lot of times and like, there's a lot of like, you know, 
fluidity in our industry and like on our team, like that is kind of a pattern. Like people just give up when they are like, okay, this is too much. And like, I can't solve all these problems anymore. And like now this person quit. So I have to do their job and I can't, it's just too much. I'm going to leave. And like, don't get me wrong. There have been times when I've been tempted, like, you know, I could go back to Texas and have a job there and I would have so much less stress because there are more people doing it and they've had people that have been there for 10 years. So really, I'm just picking up a few little pieces here and there of things that are kind of left over, but I don't have to have the type of responsibility and stress that I have here. But it's just proving to myself personally, I think more than anything, like, you can do the things that you set out to do. Like think back how you felt when you got here. You wanted to make everything so much better. You had all these goals. You wanted to take this to this level and this to that level. And there are days that are really hard and I get bogged down and I think like I'll never be able to make a change here. I can't make an impact. I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. But I try to think back about like, no, you you really can like do the things that you set out to do. Like just step away for a second. Like you said, recharging for me, I guess it's just like, going home early every now and then and like getting on the couch and watching TV and like just not thinking about work at all. A good Saturday, Sunday with no activity, never leaving my apartment and then like come back the next week and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to do the things that are on my list and that, you know, ultimately I made all these goals so long ago. Like I want to keep working towards that. Beautiful. I think it's so, so, so cool. And I'm not just saying this, to see somebody so locked in, like, I don't give a damn. Okay. I go through things. I deal through things. And the way you're even able to, you know, grasp it, put it all together in a package. Like, okay, I do go through that. And uh, this is how I reconnect with the Colby who said, uh, I'm going to go there and do this and do this and do this. And for you to stay connected with that, I think it's so cool. But again, like you said, being an overthinker, I think overthinking and people that overthink, even myself, that's a byproduct of anxiety. Mm-hmm. I actually spoke to you and thank you for this conversation. Um, when I left for Amazon, I always speak candidly on here. I left for Amazon and I just needed her on the phone because I'm like, this happened and this happened. And I'm like, I just need somebody to listen. When you're going through those times of your overthinking, what's the symptoms that show up in your life? Like, I'm overthinking, so I do this. Like, what does Colby do when she's overthinking? And then how does she, all right, I'm good on overthinking today. I think for me, like, I, yeah, I just get really like, I don't, I don't know the word I'm looking for. If something happens and I'm really reactive, um, like I can, something will happen bad at work and, I'm like you said, overthinking the whole situation. Like that night, I'm like, oh my gosh, what does this mean? Like, and I'm just like, my head is like spinning and spinning and spinning. I've learned about myself that I just need time to get myself out of those situations. And usually, if I just sleep on it and I kind of come back the next day, I've learned that, like, okay, that wasn't as big of a problem as I thought it was. Like, okay, I read that situation wrong. I definitely thought. That because he said this, that he meant this, this and this and this. But I wake up the next morning. I'm like, that's not even what happened. I'm just in my head about it. Really, all that is for me is like, I just have to take a step back from it because it's helped that I've discovered that about myself. I know I can't if something's on my mind about a situation. I am not the type of person that needs to say something right then. Like I've got to confront the situation later because I know me and I know that I overthink and I overreact and I will say something every time that's like, 
damn, I'm going to regret that later. And then it's going to be like, because I was overthinking, I overreacted. And now I made it into a situation that wasn't even a situation. So I just have to take time to get out of my head about certain things. To get out of your head about certain things. Even thinking about that, it's like, I'm thinking, yeah, what is Kobe like without that in her life? I would think of like traveling to escape those type of things, like your mindset. A different person almost, like escaping mm-hmm. from this thing and you're you're curious about different places. I guess on one of your, I always see on your IG, you're traveling here, you're posting with here, you're outside and outdoors. If you were to think in those times, your happiest times kind of traveling, what is it for you about escaping, traveling that just lights you on fire and gets you going like, okay, I got to do this. I got to plan my next trip. What yeah. is it about that for you? Yeah, I just think there's so much to see and I just want to see it all. Um, I mean, I just want to go everywhere. Like my, my mom like has that in her blood. She traveled and like getting to see her growing up traveling everywhere. Like I've just always wanted to travel and I just like to see different places, like see the way that different people live and you know how things are in other places. And like, I like to go and do the touristy things, you know, I'm like, super into just visiting all the local spots. Um, Not to cut you off, but I'm just thinking because literally I'm looking at you and you're almost like smiling this way. So work you, you were kind of like, you're almost thinking, okay, calculated, analytical, like this is what I do. But this you, you're like, oh, I like this. I like this. What do you think is like in a perfect world is the real Colby? Yeah, I'm a super lazy traveler. I don't, you said like plan, I plan like nothing because my best friend works for a travel company. And so she is the person that I travel with the most. And we've like made an annual thing out of it. And she plans all of our trips. So I guess you're right. Like it's kind of do two different sides of me. I don't plan when it comes to that. I let her do that and I'm very relaxed. So maybe that's another reason why I enjoy it so much is it gives me a break from having to be so detail oriented and like worried about everything because she does that and she kind of hates me for it I'm sure (laughs) because I'm no help but yeah it's just like you said I think earlier like an escape from everything away from work I get to be a different person like sometimes our you know obnoxious personalities shine through you're gonna laugh because you always do it but we'll like speak in a British accent and change (laughs) (laughs) and change our names like I'll, we'll go by our grandmother's names when we go places. What do you guys call each other? So she goes by her grandmother's name and then, which is Tilma. And I go by Dorothy, which was my <laughs> grandmother's name. So cool. we will tell people that we have totally different. So yeah, we kind of get to do, be different people. So I guess it's just a break from who I have to be at work. A break from who you have to mm-hmm. be. I think I do want to do something with you because I think, you know, we bounce around a lot. I've kind of talked about your story and asked you a bunch of questions. I do want to see, because again, you're, I do admire this about you. Your mindset, your mind is always going, whether it, it looks one way. I look at Kobe, she's kind of stoic usually, but I, I don't know. I just think I see things in people. She's like thinking and like, so I got these six basic human needs here. And out of these, I want you to rank the highest on your list hmm. and why certainty and i put in brackets independence this is kind of my list let me certainty slash independence variety is number two three is significance four is connection slash love five is growth 
and Six's contribution, where do you think ranks number one on your list? Say them one more time. Certainty slash independence, variety, significance, connection and love, growth or contribution? Mm, Number one, probably. And like, maybe this is the phase of life I'm in. I don't know if it'll change as I get older right now, being kind of focused on career and like not really having anything else on my mind all the time. It would probably be, um, what was it? Growth or significance. Mm -hmm. Growth or significance would be the number one right now. Why? Because I just feel like that's where I am in life is just wanting to like progress in my career. And I feel like the time is going to come where I'm going to really have to like lock in regard to like relationships or a family. You know, I'm just not worried about that stuff as much right now. Um, I do have friends that are getting married and having kids and I want that stuff one day. But for me, I still feel like I'm like, I just want to be selfish for a little bit longer. So I'm trying to just like grow, like you said, and just, yeah, do something significant with my career. I think that word resonates with me just because that's, I guess, where all the drive comes from is like, okay, well, like, let's make this worth it. Like, I'm working hard so that I can say, like, hey, I did something significant well, in Greensboro. Like? I think you're already doing it. Yeah. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm like, I'm so serious. I think you're already doing it. What does that look like for you, significant? I don't know. I don't know. Cause I think that I do feel like I have. You're right. Like, I feel like I've come in and I've set a new bar here at this team. And hopefully, you know, showed my boss, showed others in Charlotte, like showed others in our organization that, hey, this position like needs to do more like this is how much more we need to do. Like, I hope I've opened everyone's eyes to that. But I kind of struggle with that. Like, okay, well, wanting to do more, wanting to do more and like not wanting to experience burnout from that. But I think there is a healthy balance of wanting to do more you should always want a little bit more i don't know if being satisfied is the right way to go about it so your biggest dream you said was to be fulfilled Mm -hmm. i guess kind of winding down the questions i've asked you so many questions i usually talk more but i'm literally intrigued about everything i've asked so i'm sorry if it's long-winded but your biggest dream is to be fulfilled and to be fulfilled, I actually looked up the definition and, and the one that I liked, <laughs> I used mm-hmm. to be fulfilled is to be complete. What happened or what has to happen rather in Colby's life, whether in herself, whether it's her job for that dream to be fulfilled, to play out like what has to happen? Well, I think that's why it's a dream. I don't know. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. Like, what is it that's going to make me feel fulfilled? I don't think I have to know that answer right now at my age. Like, I think more will come. Like, there are some people who maybe know, like, oh, I knew my whole entire life I wanted to be a basketball player. And like, I got to the NBA. That was my dream. And so like, now that I made it, like, I feel fulfilled. Like, now I can retire and the rest of my life, I don't care what I do because like, I have reach my dream. I think it's going to take me longer to figure out what that is that makes me feel that. And maybe it's not anything to do with career. Like maybe I'm putting all this focus on career, but really feeling fulfilled for me is like having a family one day or, you know, whatever, opening a school, like who knows? I don't know what that looks like, but 
I don't even know if that's like a good dream to have because I don't know what it takes to get there. To be honest, because you're talking about career, career. I'm focused on my career, but, you know, connection, love, contribution, those type of community. If you're not, you're not focused on it, but like you think you're, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. What if, you know, the people that you need to meet are in your life now, but you're not you know, kind of leaning into that. I don't know. Cause I think about that for myself, you know, mm-hmm. we're so driven into what we want to do, but we're not almost present enough. Like we're so, I got to do this to get to there, to get to there, to get to there. And it's like anxiety building, building, building. Cause yeah. we're always like, okay, we're rather thinking about the past, what we did or what we could improve, how somebody could improve or the next, the next, mm-hmm. the next game got to be better. No, the next game got to be better. No, I got to bring this people to the game. And I got to like, we're always thinking we're not, present right do you experience any of that do you see that in your life yeah i think so i think some of it and i i feel like that's something that i have actually been thinking about a lot lately like um obviously i feel like this is where i i've grown so much being here so like this has been the best step for me so far to take in my career was to come here and take on all this responsibility but is there something else out there that's going to make me more fulfilled maybe but thinking about it is not really going to help so like like you said just living in the moment and enjoying here and enjoying whatever is in greensboro or whatever friends i can find like i need to be better about doing that um and i feel like it just comes and goes like we're in the middle of the season right now so i'm going through it as far as just like being stressed and thinking about nothing but basketball but during the summer, I try to embrace that a little bit more like, hey, live in the moment, enjoy it here. Like life is really short and you're not going to be here forever. So trying to just make the most, like you said, of your circumstance now, because you'll look up and it's like, oh, wow, I've been here for three seasons, you know. In those times, I always ask my guests this and I thank you for being so you know patient with me this whole time and spending your hard earned time here with me. I always ask my guests this, overcoming your negative voice, your mind bully. If it's you and you and you're in the middle of a ring, you're fighting that negative voice, whether in the middle of the season that you just spoke to, the stresses, how do you overcome that voice and still come with life and energy the next day and not only be present in the moment to pour into other people, but okay, we actually got to do a job here. How do you balance and overcome that negative voice? Well, two things, probably. I like to vent to people close to me. So I think that's one thing. Um, I have a best friend who also works in sports. So when I'm going through stuff like that, it helps for me to talk to somebody in a similar situation. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm not the only one going through this, right? Like everything that I'm experiencing, she has probably experienced something similar. So it's always helpful for me to get it off my chest with somebody who knows what I'm going through. If I try explaining my problems to people who don't understand, I feel like that almost makes it worse because... Then they're like, you work in basketball. Like, why are you stressed out? Your job should be so fun. And it is. But I think explaining your problems or just talking about your problems with somebody who is familiar with those same problems is very helpful, always for me, at least. And then I think the other thing, and just like you said, feeling overwhelmed and the negative voice is just realizing that I'm one of those people that has to tackle things like one small step at a time. If I look at the big picture, then yeah, I let my mind bully kind of take over. So just knowing that I'm like, a, okay, 
one small step at a time is the way that I can kind of quiet the voice, I guess. One, thank you so much. But I don't want to forget because I just thought of this. Just hearing your story and knowing you, I, I think whether you know it or not, subconsciously, it's like you almost like you put yourself at the back burner to the things that you want to accomplish. Because I do think there's a Colby in there that's like, okay, like, you know, pay attention to me. I, mm-hmm. like Growing in me, like all these things matter too. Like, and when you look back at your life, you're like, damn, like I got here anyways. Like, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud, but again, I'm so thankful to have you on this podcast. Honestly, it, it's been a pleasure not to only have you around because me, I'm so expressive almost too much. Sometimes I'm a people person. And I think like you work with the team. I think we're all coworkers. I don't get why we just, Oh, this group and this group. Mm-hmm. So it's always a pleasure seeing somebody else and like, okay, I see like, she's locked in. We're locked in over here. Why don't we talk? Why don't we yeah. just, like, so it's, it's a pleasure. It's an honor. I'm so thankful to have you on this podcast because of not only that, but the person you are and who you, you know, are you know even in my life now so mm-hmm. thank you for being on the mind Billy podcast thank you you're beating your tests you do that every episode thank you so much for listening to the mind Billy podcast with miss colby thompson and norris odiase if you like this episode do me one favor stop pause this do your little dance after you liked what you heard and rate and review this podcast it does the world and it means so much to me and what we're building here together I love you guys. I hope you love this too. Till the next one. Peace and love. Duh. Hey, Genix, you going off.